Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Uh, a lot of things happening uh, in the city, the country, and everywhere else. And a lot of uh, sad things are also occurring. And one of those things is an icon uh, from the city of Seattle, uh, a state legislator, a former Husky football standout that brought joy to folks. I never will forget those Rose Bowl victories. But I'm talking about none other than uh, the late Senator George Fleming. And the one person that probably knew him best, especially in his political career, I don't recall Nate Miles kicking no footballs or running on the field with the Huskies. I don't think he was too young anyway. But he spent an exorbitant amount of time with Senator Fleming in the state legislature, where Senator Fleming served one term in the House and the rest of his duration was in the state Senate. So I'd like to introduce uh, his personal friend, a friend of ours, uh, Nate Miles, to talk about uh, the life and legacy of the late Senator George Fleming. Thank you, Eddie. I appreciate it. Uh, um, and I appreciate you um, taking the time uh, to share with the community about Senator Fleming. Number one, many of the young people in the uh, community may not even uh, know uh, who this man is, but should know um, because of the legacy that he leaves. Many of them, uh, when we talk about, we stand on the shoulders of many of the giants that we don't know um, this is a man who is a giant whose uh, shoulders many of us stand today. I know as one who personally stands on those shoulders, um, this guy is somebody that all of us, whether you're in the contracting area, whether you're in the uh, discrimination area, um, housing, low-income housing, uh, you name it, Senator Fleming uh, left his mark in all of those areas and uh, is somebody that uh, was just a fearless champion for the people. And he did get an accolade on his way out because I think we were both at uh, the ribbon cutting for the housing, the name for Senator George Fleming in the South End. Mm -hmm. I'd like to talk to you about yeah. that and also about some of your experiences that you had uh, in Olympia and him getting things done because he was the only one in the Senate at that particular time. And there might've been one in the House that's blacks that is no question about it he, he right no question about it um the housing project that you're talking about is a housing um uh building that was done it's down at the far end of martin luther king by where the new train uh light rail station stops where the university of washington um and the the uh, odessa brown clinic is going to be which is really fitting um, that it would be close to where the Odessa Brown Center is going to be so that those people that need health care can take the light rail down there, get off there and a facility that was built with primarily some kind of tax credit dollars uh, that came through the Housing Finance Commission, which Senator Fleming sponsored the legislation that created that Housing Finance Commission, um, which what it does is it allows developers to get money at a discounted rate using tax credits so that they can then build houses and not have to pay market rates, which encourages them to build these developments so that it'll pencil. And because of that, people have been able to get, who were once homeless, now have homes they can go to inside of that property. Eddie, they've got veterans who, other than that, would have come and possibly been homeless veterans that are in that home. 
even refugees that have come here now have homes that are inside that prop that uh, facility. So it just goes to show that he keeps on giving, even though he's no longer here with us. Um, and when you talk about him being one of the only, here's a guy that, you know, we talk about Rosa Parks and sitting in the back of the bus. Here's a guy, Eddie, that when he was in the legislature, anybody that's gone down to the legislature knows that once you get inside the Capitol doors, there's a space for members only elevators, not the public elevators, but members only. Senator Fleming was down there at a time when in the Senate, there were members of his own caucus and his own chamber in the Senate that would not on the elevator with him. If he got on the elevator, they got off the elevator because they were not going to ride with a black guy. And that, I mean, you know, those were the lonely days when he was down there doing it by himself in the Senate. Um, there were those who came after him. We have um, Twana Nobles there now. We had Bill Smitherman who came after him. We had the great Rosa Franklin who came after him. But before that, there was just Senator Fleming holding down the fort as the second African-American senator in the, in the state. And um, that was the, was the thing. He had to hold that down by himself. I want to see if uh, Hayward, Hayward Evans is on the line. I want to see if Hayward has any questions or comments or hey, memories Nate. since he's involved in the political pro the Democratic Party. Go right ahead. Hey, hey, Nate, first, thank you for being here with us. And uh, you've done so many magnificent things with Senator Fleming down in, in uh, Olympia. In your estimation, one, what was his greatest challenge? And I, I'm looking at the elevator. I remember the days that women clutched their purse. Amen. But the, the greatest right. challenge that you saw down there. And secondly, uh, the most important or impactful legislation, in your opinion, that he had ever gotten passed. Uh, um. His biggest challenge today, um, I would say, Hayward, that probably uh, describes to me the kind of guy Senator Fleming was. Senator Fleming, for probably 15 years, tried to get the Martin Luther King holiday to be a state holiday in this, in this state. And he pushed and he pushed and he negotiated and he negotiated, but he could not get that bill passed. But the fact of the matter remains, he wound up at the end when he got the votes that he needed instead of him running this bill across the line and saying aha i got this thing done senator fleming took the piece of legislation there was a new brother that came down there that was over in the house representatives state representative jesse weinberry and he worked it out with state representative jesse weinberry to say i want you to have this piece of legislation so that this gives you a big win back in your district, your first year here, so that you've got something to go home and say, look at what I've got. And I said, but Senator Fleming, what about the credit for this? You don't, here's one that you've, and he said, Nate, if you're down here to get the credit for something, then you're in this game for the wrong reasons. You should be down here for what you can do for people. That's what this game is all about what you can do for people. People sent you down here to get things done. And I'll never forget that Hayward as long as I live because that's what George Fleming was all about. His biggest uh, success, at least in my opinion, was, was the idea that he got through the Office of Minority and Women Business Enterprise, which if done correctly, was designed to create an opportunity for women and minority business enterprises to be able to 
opportunity to cover and job opportunities on state um, uh, contracts, which as we know now, because of some of the work that, that you and Eddie and others are doing are billions of dollars a year that go out in these state contracts and that African-Americans and other uh, people of color have an opportunity, just a fair opportunity, not anything else, not any unfair advantages, not anything other than a fair opportunity to compete like anybody else for these for their share of these contracts. And he created that office that was designed to help do training, that was designed to do enforcement, that was designed to do a whole lot of things that that office still stands today. But many times people came along and they stripped things off of it. They stripped some of the enforcement dollars out of it. They stripped some of the technical training out of it and some other things to try to make it bare bones. But that office still stands today. And with the help of, 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 of those who are trying to put it back together and, and give it the teeth that it needs to have, that office is going to stand again because as Dr. King says, truth crushed to the earth will rise again. And that, that's what I believe it's going to be one of his landmark pieces of legislation that will stand the test of time over the years. You know, in the spirit of Senator Fleming, what would you want to tell the listenership, especially in light of what you just shared, Nate? Sounds like it's a critical time in our history here in the state of Washington. What do you want to share with the listenership in terms of the next steps in the spirit of uh, Senator Fleming? What I would tell them is that you never surrender. All of those people who did not recognize him and who wanted to get off the elevator with him, those people wound up coming back in the end and supporting him. He won their trust. He won their respect. You never, he never gave up his dignity. He never begged those people for anything. He never lost his respect. You never lose your respect, but you never lose fight. You always, because freedom is not free. You got to pay your way. You got to figure out a way to make those people understand who you are and let them know that you might have the upper hand today, but you're not going to always have the upper hand and you're going to have to come back around. And he always found a way to win the, the, the trust and, and respect of those people because they never had, the even when the Democrats had the, and he was a Democrat, even when the Democrats had a 25 to 24 margin over the Republicans, some of the Democrats would go over to vote with the Republicans so that they would take away the majority that we that he would have. But he had to go get Republican friends to come back and vote for some of his legislation, his anti-discrimination legislation, his housing legislation and all of that. So he had to figure out how to win friends on the other side. Those were the kinds of things that he did. And the way that he did it, Hayward, was so smart. He would do things. I'll never forget this lady came in. And before the ADA, the Americans with Disability Act, Eddie, that, that, that created the curb cuts. You see these curb cuts in the sidewalk. This is how yes. deep Senator Fleming was, those curb cuts where you can roll a wheelchair off, the, off a curb. Before that, those come by because of the Americans with Disability Act. Well, before there was the Americans with Disability Act, Senator Fleming passed a, uh, an amendment to the Department of Transportation um, budget that said, whenever we replace a sidewalk, you have to put a curb cut there so that a wheelchair can get down there for people who are in a wheelchair. 
And I'll never forget this woman who came in and she was into to see Senator Fleming. And I said, okay, we'll bring you in to see him. Senator Fleming came off the floor and said, well, what can I help you with? And this lady said, I just wanted to thank you. She said, I'll never forget when my husband, who was a veteran, and he was in a wheelchair, and I tried to get him off the, the, the sidewalk, and I slipped, and he fell out of his wheelchair on a rainy day and into the mud. And there, if it wasn't for somebody there to help me pick him up and put him back in my chair, we were so embarrassed. And here's a veteran who defended this country, who gave his legs for this country, but couldn't get back up in his wheelchair. And because of you, Senator, we don't have to go through that humiliation anymore. That wasn't white. It wasn't black. It wasn't. This is something that Senator Fleming did. He fought for everybody, Hayward. If you needed something in this state, this is why this guy is being memorialized the way that he is. He didn't have to be black. Senator Fleming brought people together across the aisle, across the state, and, and just all around this. Wait until uh, January 16th when you see this outpouring of love that they're going to have for him when they do the um, uh, homegoing celebration of his life. And you see people come out and tell the stories about what George Fleming has done for them or what he means to them. And you, you'll get a chance to, to, to see and to hear what some of, of of his life has meant to them because it'll be from now and people will still be talking about what the, the they're doing what, what it meant to lives women's whose businesses are going today minorities whose businesses are going today you know before he was he was cool before de and i was even talked about he was talking about it well brother miles we really appreciate that but i also want to say that um in parting that uh, uh, I remember the 60 and 61 Rose Bowls. As a matter of fact, I was in Kansas City for the 61 Rose Bowl because I was in, in the military uh, for a six-monther and uh, gave me a lot of pride. I'm really hoping that the University of Washington step up, like uh, he'd be honored, uh, have something of permanence in Husky Stadium, along with something that he would want, and that's some scholarships uh, that 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 seventy four million dollars a year that Husky football and basketball generate, I think they can carve enough money to give some of them brothers a scholarship out there that's generating all that money. So I just wanted to let you know, brother, appreciate that, Nate. Thanks very much. Look forward to continue to work along the spirit of uh, George Fleming. You, you will. Thank you, Eddie. And by the way, the University of Washington is where we don't know about the scholarship, but we're with the University of Washington on the 16th is where they're going to hold the event in the Don James Center, by the way. But pay more. We, uh, pay attention to the uh, news. You'll be hearing more about that. Well, I should have my cast. Thank you for having me today. OK, thank you now. OK, our next guest is uh, Kendra. Good. Kendra is uh, the treasurer of uh, the Seattle King County Martin Luther King Jr. Organizing Coalition that sponsors uh, the March and Rally and the Opportunity Fair, which I understand is going to be virtual this year after talking with Christina Van, M Van Middlesworth, who is uh, going to bring me up to date a little later on in this month. But uh, Kendra, are you online? Yes. Hello, Mr. Okay, Rye. I'm with Hayward Evans. She wanted to let you know who was on. So why don't you uh, share with our listeners uh, the status of uh, the MLK event that we have annually uh, in the city of Seattle. 
Yes, I am honored to be here today and to let everyone know we have the 40th annual MLK Day March and Rally coming up. It'll be January 17th, 2022. And we are about halfway through the planning season. As of right now, we've solidified the theme, which is truth in education now. So as we all know, the education system has over many decades been providing not so good information to our scholars. And so we want to advocate for having truth in education and to have our workshops and events geared around sharing the true knowledge and the history so that we can be more effective in how we're coming together and changing things for future generations. And so again, we're about halfway through the season. We'll have um, the youth event, which will be virtual on January 17th. The Opportunity Fair, which you've already spoken to, is going to be virtual. And then more details about that will come later as we get closer to the event. Our workshops will do a hybrid. So we'll have virtual workshops the week leading up to MLK Day. So between January 11th and the 15th, there will be virtual workshops, which is something we were able to pilot last year. And we got a lot of great feedback. However, there are some workshops that do require, you know, you to be in person and are more interactive. And so on the 17th, we'll also have in-person workshops from 9am to 10:15, followed by the rally from Garfield High School at 11 a.m. and the march will start at 12.30 and the location of the march will be determined. The destination, well, are, will the, the rally, will that be outside or inside? The rally from my understanding will be outdoors. So we did do the outdoor rally last year. And so I believe this will give us the opportunity for more people to be a part of that. Um, we won't have such a strict um, capacity as we usually do by having it in the gym. So I believe it's been decided to have the outdoor rally. And um, one thing about the workshops I forgot to mention was that the in-person workshops will be held at the McKinney Center down on off of 22nd and Jackson. It's the former SVI building. So that's another change to uh, location-wise with us starting the rally in March from Garfield, but having those morning workshops just a couple blocks down the street. Now, if there are people out there who want to participate in this event, uh, how can they get information and how can they find out about the meetings and how can they find out about the various committees that they can sign up to volunteer on? And how can they find out where to send their checks to make sure this event goes off? Absolutely. So you'll Hayward want to. Hayward and I are on the fundraising committee. Pardon me. <laughs> I said Hayward, uh, who's co-hosting. He, he. We're on the fundraising committee. Oh so yes, plug, absolutely. Plug I am. Checks in. I'm familiar with that, and you all do a wonderful job with your fundraising um, for our event. And so we have a website that I may need to. Sorry, I don't have it on hand. Forgive me. I believe it's seattlemlk.org. Here we go. So it's seattlemlkcoalition.org. Again, our website is seattlemlkcoalition.org. 
And so you can sign up to be a volunteer for the event or send us an email through the website and we'll add you to the distribution list if you're interested in participating in the planning. I want to see if uh, Hayward has a question or a comment. Uh, Kendra, first, thank you for being here with us. And uh, for the folks who don't know you, uh, her nickname or people out there call you the volunteer queen. So just, <laughs> so just so they know a little more about you. As volunteer queen, tell them about you mentoring young ladies and what you've been doing with you. That's oh, in your spirit. Absolutely. So, um, yes, it's so funny that you say that volunteer queen, because I like to be in the community and learn about different organizations. So over the years, I've uh, kind of adopted to that nickname, just being in all of these various spaces. Um, but outside of that, I've been mentoring with a girls group called Young Ladies of Today and Tomorrow. It'll be... 14 years, I want to say, that I've been with that organization. We serve young ladies between the ages of 8 and 17 years old, um, and it's during the school year, so September to June, and we focus on goal setting, positive self-esteem, domestic skills, community service, etiquette, um, and we put on a few fundraisers and just try to get them more exposure to the arts and connecting them with other nonprofits for families and, and people of color. So essentially that's what I do. Um, I enjoy it and it's just important to have that time to give back to our young people and to give them experiences that we didn't have or to expose them to things earlier on than, than I, I had in my growing up. So yeah. Well, Kendra, uh, do you have a website or information how people can get to you that are listening to this program? The Absolutely. That's just who I'm looking for. I want to do that too. I know I can, you know, I thought I was all by myself, but here's someone that's blazing the trail. You Absolutely. So our email for the girls group is young ladies of today and tomorrow at gmail.com. So it's our entire organization name, young ladies of today and tomorrow at gmail.com. Or you can connect with me through the MLK coalition website um, as it was mentioned earlier, I'm the treasurer and I'll be happy to follow back up with you um, if you have more questions or want to learn more about what we do. And just, uh, just if I may, in your professional life, you're a, a, a development manager. They need to understand that too. You, I know. And I'm so sorry, Jane. Hayward. Yes, I just jumped right into MLK. I wanted to make sure I covered all the details. But yes, so I, I am a database manager for a local nonprofit and it's a pretty large agency. And so I work in the fund development office and we handle all gift processing for Western Washington, um, which is the, you know, that's the region of the state that my agency serves. And I've been with the company for six years. I absolutely love it. And that is what's driven me back to be more active in my immediate community, specifically around fund development or in this capacity treasurer but somewhere around donation processing and finances is where I find my knack or just overall um, admin support. And so that's what I do by day and it pays the bills. And then when I get off of work, I get to do, um, you know, volunteer my time and energy to some other things that bring me joy. Well, Kendra, thank you very much for all you do. We're out of time, but we have to have you back to get all aspects of your life. We don't have enough time in this one little segment. But thank you very much and continue to do the good work you're doing in the community. So Absolutely. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank okay. you. Have a great day. All right, now. 
So Eric, we're gonna take a break and come back with attorney Ben Crump. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Oh, Eric got us in, into the Christmas spirit and it's not that far away, but I just want to give a take a little point of personal privilege here and just update everybody. I, I had a shoulder surgery last week on Wednesday. Uh, my arm will be in a sling for about uh, four more weeks. I'm not able to send out emails, but like I said, I am able to talk. Uh, so please bear with me. Uh, the guests will be posted on my Facebook page. So that way uh, we'll know uh, what, what's coming up. But also I want to take this time to thank uh, uh, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, me and Rice and Lawrence Coleman down there, their support. Uh, Sound Transit, Jante Robinson, the Civil Rights and Equity Chief, uh, Leslie Jones, is uh, the chief, a labor chief down there. And I also got to give a shout out too to the chair of the Sound Transit Board, uh, Council Member Kent Keel, so we can't leave him out. And then the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office, uh, Liz Alzier, Carol, Carmen, Mark, Jesse. Uh, and then I got my buddies out at the airport who are doing well again. But uh, Hayward, uh, I tell you right now, I'm a little bit concerned about uh, this new virus and uh, it looks like uh, in terms of the hospital beds are filling back up again, and we still got people fighting over not wearing masks. I mean, so, uh, and most of the people in the hospital are people who haven't been vaccinated. So now, uh, uh, what do you think can be done? People said they'll quit their job if they're mandated to be vaccinated. How do we solve this dilemma? Yeah, with me, that's absolutely ridiculous. And, and for those folks who aren't getting vaccinated, maybe you shouldn't receive medical care. And I'm not, not trying to be selfish. Because I firmly believe in human life. But if you know the vaccine works, 
and you're not getting it and you're going to protest, then you get sick, you run to the hospital. They only have so many beds, so much, uh, so much medication. Who should get that medication? You who got vaccinated and done everything that's been required, or you who run in there to get the medicine because you got sick, because you didn't believe in the vaccination. Who should really get it? Yeah. Well, the other issue that we have that's front and center now uh, in Seattle and also in D.C. is uh, uh, the DOJ complaint. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think all of the complainants who signed on to the complaint uh, have received a copy of uh, Congressman Adam Smith's letter to the Justice Department suggesting that, uh, or uh, actually supporting our request for an investigation based upon the information that is available. And it's not our numbers, it's everybody else's. So we're still waiting for Congressman Benjamin Crump to come online. Uh, I found out just in our conversation uh, yesterday that he's also representing some of the people who were in that Amazon warehouse that where the tornado struck. So he's all over the world, but uh, wherever he goes, he seems to find justice. So I guess if something else happened in, uh, in the Breonna Taylor uh, situation, I, not, I didn't get all the information. But I, every, I didn't see him at the same time. Uh, George Floyd's uh, family was out uh, on the Chauvin thing and Ben was in other locations. So I, like I said, everywhere he goes, he seems to leave justice for the people after he leaves. So that's one good thing. So some people refer to him as a, the attorney general for black America. And you know, that's, and that's what I call him too, the attorney general for black, black America. And hopefully, you know, with all this stimulus money coming up, we really need, in my opinion, we have to have a second Freeman's Bureau, second Freeman's Bureau, something looking specifically at descendants of African slaves here in America to make sure that we're getting our fair share of the money coming down that pipeline. Billions of dollars. I was even reading with uh, um, what Representative or Congressman Smith sent out saying all this money is coming down. Yeah, for roadways, but there's also money for all these other small projects. So where I don't see our name on it, Eddie. Where, where's our name? And, and looking, looking at the government, you know what they've done to our businesses. Every time I think about uh, the impact of I-200, I get disheartened. Mm. Most of the people I know who are in business are no longer in business. Come on, and that's just a fact. Then they say, where are the black businesses? Hell, you killed them. Reinvest the money. Reinvest. Do something to help those businesses you put out. Well, the thing about it is that that would do, uh, if we had a designation uh, in, the federal, in every federal agency, uh, for African descendants of the United States enslaved, uh, I think our 400 years, we we, we warrant that, uh, if you don't want to count that to 254 years of slavery. But uh, I have nothing against other minorities, but at the same time, we cannot, cannot sit idly by, lose complete sections of the city, like the Central District, because we're not participating, and folks know what's wrong, and that is exactly why if some members of the Congressional Black Caucus were saying, what took you guys so long to file this complaint? because they had the statistical information right there showing that African-Americans being discriminated against. So at least at least the complaint has been filed. Uh, we've not heard back uh, from them. And as a rule, they would assign that to uh, their district office, which here, here would be the Western District Office, uh, Assistant Attorney General for, for Western Washington. Well, the problem is, is that the that Attorney General used to be the governor's attorney. <laughs> So, right. <laughs> I, I don't know, Nick is not a bad guy, but I mean, we just have to be realistic about the fact, the representation and, you know, it's all like the old proverbial fox garden, the hen house. So uh, 
I would recommend uh, that if not no one in Washington State uh, affiliated with the Justice Department be involved, but I'd like to see someone out of the San Francisco area attorney, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office look into this. Totally. It's a conflict of interest. You know, Judge Brown, he's a good gentleman. Eddie, you know, you and I met with him before. He's a good person, but he's human. Come on now. And, and the governor did hire him and bring him out here from Harvard University, mind you. Well, uh, Hayward, on the other front, uh, I know that uh, uh, the NAACP and voter registration, uh, we've seen uh, Joe Madison on uh, a hunger strike. Uh, because of uh, he's I guess, 37 days now. And uh, it seems like it's unfortunate that Congress is going to go out of session for the holidays without taking up uh, yeah. the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Have you heard any new, any new information on that? You know, the only thing I keep hearing over and over again, the R's, the Republicans, and, I, and I, you know, I'm a Christian, bless their heart. But what they're doing in terms of voter suppression is straight up the killing of the second reconstruction. This goes all the way back. Let's look at the uh, establishment of the first Jim Crow law. This is the new Jim Crow. Only difference is they're no longer wearing a hood, they're wearing a suit and tie and carrying a briefcase. It's terrible. Exactly right. Uh, the other thing too is that uh, right now the president's uh, uh, human infrastructure package on Black Get Out, not because of, well, the Republicans all the way, but, but Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. And you know, what I can't understand is they're talking about, wait until she runs again in three years. You know, why are you going to give her three years to keep doing this? concerned, the people in Arizona, and I'm not from Arizona, but the people in Arizona need to start entertaining what a recall looks like. Okay. And maybe that might force someone to do the right thing for her constituents. Because I know... Uh, all the folks in Arizona are not wealthy. A lot of people go down there because of the cost of living. And and if, uh, like I just heard a uh, congressman from uh, New York today, Congressman Jones saying that if they don't get things squared away, like next month, the checks people have been getting to subside, reducing child poverty, those checks will not be coming through. You know, the killers, Arizona and Texas, they're doing a great job in terms of growing as a state. But they've done everything in their power to suppress that new growth, that vote, because that's Latinos and black folk are making that place grow. And now they're making sure the polls aren't in place so that they can vote. And then they challenge their, their credentials. It, it's terrible. But look at number 45, too. That's what's getting me right now. The Republicans are doing everything in their power to make sure that the insurrection okay. from January. Hey, we, have been, we have Ben Crump on the line. Let's go to Ben Crump. How are you doing? I'm on with my friend Hayward Evans, but I, I know you're real busy, sir, but we just want to thank you for all the stuff you're doing as Attorney General for Black America. You leave justice everywhere. So just I know you told me recently you represent some of the people from the tornado in the Amazon building. So I don't like to share, have you share anything you want to with our listeners right quick. Well, certainly. And thank you, Mr. Ryan, Mr. Evans, for having me. I'm uh, in an airport, as always, connecting to, but I wanted to make sure, Mr. Wright, that I call to thank you and your audience for always standing with us in pursuit of justice. And I, I don't know if I've talked to you since uh, the verdict, uh, the guilty verdict for the killers of Ahmaud Arbery in Bainbridge, Georgia, uh, Brunswick, Georgia. You know, they lynched them for jogging while black. I wanted to say thank you for that. As you know, 
right now in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the trial of Kim Potter is going on. This uh, white policewoman who allegedly pulled her taser, thought she was pulling her taser, pulled her gun and shot Dante Wright. And we went through the week of uh, testimony from the state. And now they have rested in defense and started their case. And the thing that is very important for us to point out is the fact that I think uh, Attorney General Keith Ellison, the first black attorney general for the state of Minneapolis, again, is doing a very technical, uh, superb job of explaining why this police officer should not unjustly kill Dante Wright and should not have even pulled her taser for him, on him for a traffic stop. Everything that they try to allege he did was nothing more than a misdemeanor. And But when it's black people, they always do the most when they could do uh, the restrictive stuff like issue a notice of appearance and those type of things. But what is so important, Mr. Rye, is when you think about uh, how they broke down the difference between how you well, taser being on the non-dominant hand side and your gun, your duty service weapon being on the uh, dominant hand side and the fact that you could either have a crossover uh, or you can use a reactionary uh, measure how you carry your taser. That is, she's right-handed. She could have reached over and grabbed the taser with her right hand, but to do that, the butt of the taser must be facing forward. Uh, and so she pulls it out, and then she got it her dominant hand across her body versus a reactionary where she uses her left hand, her weaker hand. With, but that taser then, the butt of the taser, is facing backward towards her buttocks. And that is so important because it talks to you about the things you have to do to even get the taser out of the holster when you have to either cross over or use the reaction uh, technique. And so when you look at that, she pulls it with her left hand, allegedly. She has to switch it over to her right hand. She then has to hit the button on the taser to empower the taser. And when she does that, then she should see a infrared light that comes out from the top of the taser and an infrared light that comes out from the bottom of the taser that points at her target. Upon that, there is also a reflection on the back of the taser that would tell her the taser has been engaged, that you have the infrared uh, light on, and you have the infrared light on, and that the taser is ready to be deployed. Well, the reason the state went through all of that there was a trained police officer with 26 years of experience knows one thing, if you're holding a taser, you're going to see all of this and you're going to have that turn on the button and this is going to be starkly different than when you have a gun when you don't have to see any of that and all you have to do is pull the trigger. And so with her having five seconds before she started shooting at Dante Wright, there should have been something that told her I... I did not hit my button to turn on the taser. I don't see the infrared. I don't see the infrared. And I don't see the reflections coming from the back of the taser telling me all this here. 
So, Mr. Rye, that was so crucial, crucial, breaking that down. And the last point I wanted to make about the trial was, oh, and, and also on the taser, she was in violation of the policy because they said you don't point the taser at somebody's chest. And then they also said you don't use the taser, much less a gun, but you don't use the taser and deploy it for traffic stops. And that was the policy of the Brooklyn Center Police Department. But then they come up with this asinine excuse about she had to use the taser because she thought her partner was going to be killed because he had reached into the car from the passenger side and had turn, was trying to put the car in park. Well, what she neglected to say is, regardless that we can see on video, that her partner was never in a life-or-death situation, even though they tried to make it that so they could justify the use of her using that taser. But his girlfriend is there in the car, and the girlfriend is a person who the partner has to reach across. So he was never in the car. He was just reaching across, and he was never in fear of being dragged to justify this life-or-death situation so she could say, I used the taser because I had to. And so Monday we think we're going to get a verdict in that case. And so I ask for your prayers and to continue to say that Dante Wright life mattered. It does. Uh, Attorney Benjamin Crump, I'd like to have you say hello to my congressman, Congressman Adam Smith. He sent a letter in on support by discrimination complaint against Washington State. Congressman Adam Smith, are you on the line? I, I am, Eddie. How are you? Congress, uh, Attorney Thank Benjamin you. Crump just finished doing an interview. He's on the line right now. Thank you, Congressman, for your leadership. Thank you. Appreciate the chance. Okay. Well, thank uh, you, Mr. Rye, and uh, I always uh, really appreciate you speaking truth to power to help uplift our community and uplift our culture. Well, Attorney Benjamin Crump, you're doing an outstanding job all across the country getting justice for the people, so we appreciate you too, sir. So thank you very much. Okay. Safe travels. All right. God bless you all. Bye-bye. Okay. Congressman Adam Smith, uh, I noticed that uh, uh, your budget didn't have as much opposition as a lot of the others, but uh, I still, I guess, uh, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. Hayward Evans is on the line with us. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule. Uh, but I was just thinking about what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now. And I heard uh, uh, Congressman Jones from New York indicating that there's a possibility next month that the child tax credits checks won't be coming through. So uh, I'd just like to have you talk about where we are there, and then we'll talk about uh, uh, your latest victory in terms of getting justice for people who have been involved with the military. Yes, absolutely. Well, the big issue in, in the Senate right now is the reconciliation package, President Biden's Build Back Better agenda, which, among other things, includes an extension of the per-child tax credit that was passed in the law earlier this year but expires at the end of this year. And next week, the Senate is supposed to take up that reconciliation package. Now, it does a lot more than just per-child tax credit, as you know. There's a ton of support in there for child support, for education and job training, for health care, for climate change, uh, for expanding Medicare benefits to include dental, vision, and hearing. 
It's a big, important package that also contains uh, some needed, I think, tax reform to help raise more revenue. And one other big piece of it is it allows Medicare to negotiate drug prices, which will help bring down the cost of uh, prescription drugs uh, for people in this country. And that's all in the Senate right now. Uh, But the one short-term impact is if they don't pass it, the per-child tax credit does expire at the end of this year. So we've passed it in the House in the Senate, and we're hoping they get something done. We're hoping they pass what we sent them, but if they don't, we'll take whatever changes they make and do our best to get that passed. And uh, I noticed there was a big ceremony today uh, with uh, people who have been got killed performing heroic actions in combat, and which led me up to uh, the notice you had, that you sent out in terms of uh, the military sexual assault cases that you've been working on. Can you share with our listeners, you passed the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, that includes the policy reforms will be dealt with in terms of sexual assault. So just share with our listeners a little bit about how that works and how you're able to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. What we've done is we've reformed the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Specifically, the, the commander in a given unit right now is in charge of deciding what charges to press for crimes um, and how to proceed. What we do is we take all sex crimes, all crimes against children, plus any crime related to a sex crime, and then murder, manslaughter, and kidnapping. We take that away from the commander, and we've created a special victims prosecutor's office under the judge advocate general, which will be separate from the commander, and will be able to take these cases and really have the specialized knowledge of how to prosecute these cases, how to investigate and prosecute them. So, as you know, the military has a huge problem with sexual harassment, and this is the most significant change in the UCMJ um, in 50 years that will help deal with that. I think it's also really important for racial equity issues. Um, Increasing evidence suggests that the military uh, does not treat uh, people the same uh, based on the color of their skin. There are disproportionate impacts um, for people of color. This will give us, you know, we'll, we'll take a lot of those crimes away from the commander and give us a chance to get another approach there to hopefully get greater equity and to protect victims of sexual assault. The process was, was difficult. There was, a, there was a lot of people who had a lot of different opinions about precisely how to do this. Uh, plus, there were still some who didn't think we should do it at all. Um, so we had to negotiate that process through, and we, we were able to do it, get it passed in the House, the Senate, and now it's on the way to the President as part of the broader National Defense Authorizing Act. Um, so this is, I think it's a huge positive change that will help, uh, will help victims of sexual assault in the military get the justice they deserve and hopefully um, deter those crimes from happening uh, in the first place. Well, you know, now that you mentioned that, I couldn't help but notice uh, that at the ceremony today, there was an African-American sergeant, uh, I guess, whose Humvee uh, ran over a landmine in 2005. And he went back and got 15 of his folks out of there, and he died in the process. And uh, even though it happened in 2005, he just got his Medal of Honor award today. And a lot of people were saying that they think he didn't get it right away because of the people in the command above him uh, didn't acknowledge his his heroic actions like they should have. And I heard about stuff like this during World War II, Vietnam, and even in Korea. 
because uh, I've had probably 30 of my relatives uh, serve, as far as I can remember, back to uh, my, my one uncle called Big Uncle served in World War One. So that was just kind of interesting that you mentioned it also because color uh, acknowledge the racial aspect of this as well. So, Congressman, what uh, what can be uh, your constituents do to help move things along? And what are your priorities for, I mean, it got to be for the district, but give us an idea of, of how this uh, uh, infrastructure money will come down and how, would the, and how can we do anything to get this human infrastructure? Because people need to be lifted up. We should not have yeah. to be living like this. Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the, the, the big things for next year and a huge priority for my office is to, to make sure those infrastructure dollars and also the recovery package dollars that were passed earlier this year, um, those, there's still dollars out there that are available to go to help people in, in local communities. You know, obviously on the infrastructure side, it's, it's buses, it's transit, it's roads, it's bridges, but it's also broadband. Um, you know, there, there are other issues that were contained in there. We need to make sure those dollars get to the communities that need them the most uh, for that. And then on, on housing dollars, on food insecurity, um, a lot of money in that from the Recovery Act that we still want to make sure that gets to the people who need it most. So I'm working very closely with the community to do that. And as we head into 2022, we still have major challenges in terms of affordable housing, access to decent jobs, as I said, even in many cases, access to food. We've got to be supportive of our community-based organizations as they deliver those services to people. And I want to give one more, one more plug on what we got done in the defense bill. I've been working with uh, Grumai Azahalai and others on the Africatown project um, in Seattle. And one of the big things they've been trying to do is get the Sound Transit property. Sound Transit owns a chunk of property in that area. They want Sound Transit to transfer them, transfer that land to them. Uh, but the federal law prohibited Sound Transit from doing that without getting fair market value, which was unbelievably expensive. So we, we've changed the law within the defense bill, which was a long, complicated story how we were able to get that done. Uh, but we did. Uh, it will now allow Sound Transit to transfer that property to this community-based organization, developing the community center um, around Africa Town. So I'm really excited about that. Hope that transfer will go forward. But really support for projects like that, you know, build community centers that build affordable housing, access to child care, access to health care, access to education, supporting the community's efforts uh, to build these things uh, from the ground up. And, you know, we still have a very dynamic project called the MLK Gandhi, where we're uh, partnering with uh, folks from India, uh, uh, our collaboration, MLK Gandhi is just a natural kind of uh they could train people in 12 to 14 weeks and we would have to pay them a stipend because we want them to uh, focus on nothing but learning digital technology. And these folks would be starting off in $60,000 plus uh, in terms of uh, uh, salaries. And they can just go up the ladder. We know that the need is there and they could also be uh, act as uh, subcontractors like Microsoft utilizes over 750,000 contractors. So we have talked to Congressman Bobby Scott. Uh, I know that, uh, uh, Ron Dixon and also uh, have talked to your office and that's something that we want to pursue. I'm we're dealing with one arm, but uh, I got Ron and uh, the other folks from the Gandhi uh, board that are really willing, ready and able to get this thing going. So uh, we've been meeting with uh, the mayor's staff as well as uh, 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 County Executive Dow Constantine, who's given us this commitment and Representative Sharon Santos actually arranged for a Zoom call 
with Congressman Bobby Scott, who is your chair of House Education and Labor Committee. And the enthusiasm is there. Uh, the the, the uh, curriculum is in place. Uh, all the key players are there. There's a uh, collaboration with uh, the UW Bothell uh, 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 campus uh, through uh, Sandeep, who is the dean of the business school out there. So everything is lined up except for the necessary dollars to kick it off. And this could be really be a boom because they this would help uh, some folks get to where they need to be. So uh, I'm really sorry uh, uh, that uh, we didn't have more time, uh, Congressman Adam Smith, but I want to call you so we can chat a little further. And I also want to be able to get uh, Ron uh, Dixon on the line with us so we can give you an update. So I want to thank you sure. for your time today, sir. Hey, what I'm Happy sorry, I didn't it. get a chance to get you in, but uh, we ran out of time, sir. Uh, thank you very much. And you're always welcome to come back and give an update or put out any kind of information you want to on this program, Congressman Adam Smith, because we do appreciate you being a true representative of the people that you serve. Thank you, Eddie. Anytime. Appreciate the chance. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, Eric, we're going to uh, take a break on out of here and be back next Thursday if the Lord's willing. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. 